Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversation with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The volume. The Draymond Green Show is presented by FanDuel. Super Bowl's here. No better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. Awesome exclusive Super Bowl offers for both new and existing users. FanDuel app is safe. You get paid fast. A lot of ways to play. The spread, the money line, team totals, players, props, a lot of stuff. Over-unders. Jump into the action. Same game parlays are my favorite. Just use the promo code Colin and download the FanDuel app today. Start making every moment more during Super Bowl 57. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Draymond Green Show. Our next guest uh, is a guy who I actually had the opportunity to play against in college uh, before the majority of you um, were, were basketball smart enough to even know his name because the name on the front of the jersey didn't quite match the talent in the name or the back of the jersey. And so because you can't look and see talent, it needs to be at Duke. It needs to be at Kentucky. It needs to be at Michigan State. You 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 miss out on a talent like this. However, like I said, I had the opportunity to play against him, and I saw firsthand how good he was from Canton, Ohio. Um, just a guy who I've gotten to know, Mr. President himself, the Players Association, uh, soon to be All Star, CJ McCullum. Welcome to the show, my brother. Appreciate you having me on the show, man. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, let's let's get right into it. Um, you know, coming from Canton, Ohio, your freshman year, you 5-2. But I know at that point you had to wiggle because it's just it, it's just in you. Like, that's how you play. That's how your older brother played, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, CJ's older brother, Eric McCollum, is, has played in EuroLeague for 10 years, bucket getter. So that's just in you. But at 5-2, going into your freshman year where there, or, or your freshman year, were there any worries that your future in basketball wouldn't be quite what it's shaped out to be just because you were small? Or did you think, I'm going to hit my growth spurt? There was times where I thought that my growth spurt might come too late. You know, once high school starts, you know, everybody's taller than you. Girls is taller than you. It's hard to create separation in the games. Um, the the finishing around the basket is nearly impossible. You got to have a crazy floater just because of the way they close space. And I seen that my dad, my dad actually graduated high school at 5'8. And my dad is 6'3 mm-hmm. now. And I thought to myself, like, I hope that it doesn't take that long, you know what I mean, for me to grow. Yeah. Cause 5'8 might be too late my senior year. Like I, it'll be hard for me to get scholarships. So that was the the only concern was that my growth spurt would take too long. And I was worried about that because I started school early and I graduated high school at 17. So I knew my talent was there. I knew I had the skill set. I worked, you know, harder than most. And I just kind of refined my skills. But I was just hoping that I would get tall early so that I could get a scholarship and then kind of settle into the hype. And at what at what point did you actually hit that growth spurt? So I was 5'2", and I played uh, three-quarters JV, two-quarters varsity, because that was when you could only play five quarters in Ohio. And my brother, you talked about, he was a starting point guard, so I wasn't better than him, and I wasn't going to play over him. So I kind of watched and played at the end of the game. My sophomore year, I was 5'6", 108 pounds. And... Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, like five, six, hundred and eight pounds. And I was taller, so like that was cool, right? Like being a little bit taller, like I didn't have to create as much space. But that's when I was really worried. Like I was like, damn, I'm only five, six. I ain't got no scholarship offers. Nobody's really recruiting me. I'm coming off the bench on my um, varsity team, even though I probably should have been a starter. I'm coming off the bench, not really contributing, hitting threes every now and then, like certified, like high school role player. Like think like I'm better than Skip Bayless, but like <laughs> with the point, but the points per game wasn't like where, where it should be, right? For my skill set. So like, that's where I was at. And then my, my junior year, I really dedicated myself to like shooting, right? Cause I could always shoot a little bit, but I was like, this is a, this is going to be the separator for me is, you know, I'm a good passer, but I'm not a great passer, right? I can play defense, but I'm not a great defender. I got some athleticism, but it's not elite. So I was like, what can I do well to like get noticed? And it's like, I got to be able to shoot and I got to be able to dribble and I got to be able to create shots off the bounce because that was my like superpower, so to speak, where it's like, I can do this better than everything else. So I really worked on that in the summer, my brother, and I grew to 5'11". And when I got to 5'11", it was like the game was easy at 5'11". It was very easy because I had been so small for so long. Mm-hmm. I got used to having to do everything harder, you know, creating space harder. You know, step backs got to be harder. Floaters got to be more crisp. You only get so many shot attempts because you're so short. And I got taller and that made the game better. And actually, my first career start, I broke the school record. I hit eight threes and I had 54 points. And I got a letter from Lehigh the next day. And uh, that's when I knew it was like, okay, I'm good enough to go to school at this size, but hopefully I can get bigger. And so you end up getting a letter from Lehigh, but why, like ultimately, did you have more offers? Why Lehigh in the end? Yeah, I mean, I went through this, Boulder Green was the first Ohio school to offer me. Um, They offered me first um, after I played that year out. So I go from averaging six points a game to 25. I was 25, like basically five and five as a junior at 5'11". And I go play for King James, shout out to Brian. I go play for his AAU team that year. And that was my first time like really on the scene because I sat the bench for all Ohio Red. Like at, at five seven, I didn't really play. Like I was like the third string point guard. Well, you know, second string point guard don't really play in AAU because the starter played the whole game. So I would come in and pick up full court and run the offense and then go sit down. So I play like seven to 10 minutes a night, like not really impacting the game. <laughs> And that was my first year. And I, I started playing really well. I played against John John Wall at a tournament at Boo Williams. And I played well. I think I had 25 and 5. And obviously, John was killing us. But everybody was watching because it's John. And I started getting letters, started getting recruited. And I actually lied. Um, you know, after the games, you get interviewed. And I lied and said I had an offer from Boise State. And I didn't. They had just recruited me. And um, I got a few offers after that. <laughs> I got a few. I got a few offers out there. I said, like, the university department offered me in Boise State. And then I got, like, I had, like, at one point I had 11 offers. These all small schools. So Eastern Michigan, Central Michigan, Bowling Green, um, Lehigh offered. Uh, university department ended up offering St. Francis, PA, um, a bunch of mid-majors. But I was getting recruited by, like, St. Louis, Michigan, Notre Dame, and Penn State. And it's funny because... I really wanted to go to like, I call it like a bigger conference, but like a more academic based school to where like I'm playing against these good schools, but like I can still play and still get playing time. Right. Like this is when Notre Dame wasn't that good. This is when Penn State, this is like Taylor Battle days. Like they was kind of becoming better, but they wasn't really like known for football. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So they ended up not offering me. I wanted to go to Akron University. Right. Because it was down the street from the crib. It was a small school. I'm like, bet I can play in the back. 15 minutes from the crib. My cousin played football there. Shaka trained me since I was a kid. And this is when Shaka was on staff. Mm-hmm. And Dan Brown looked me um, in my face and said, I don't have any more scholarship offers. Zeke Marshall was our only scholarship for your class. Zeke was a seven foot, seven foot blue chip center. I said, look, man, if you can get me a scholarship, I'll come. But if I can't register. I won't make it through school. Like I love basketball. And if I can't whoop, I won't be able to be as locked in and engaged. And I can't do a year without it. I gave him two days. They didn't um, offer me took a visit to Lehigh. And at that point, like I started with 11 offers, guys start committing. You know how it go. I go from Absolutely. 11 offers to eight to six to five. I got three offers left. Like guys is committing. I'm going into my senior season and Lehigh was the school that was with me from the beginning. They was, they was authentic. They was genuine. They kind of told me what my role would be. I knew I was going to be in a Patriot league. So it was a good education. It was a six hour drive from home and I didn't want to be too close to home. So that I was like, bet I can still drive home, but you got to really want to see me to come see me Absolutely. type of thing. 
And it ended up working out. And I always say that's the best decision I ever made in my life was, was going to Lehigh. I met my wife there. Um, I got to play the game I love. I got a degree. I majored in journalism. I won a couple championships. And that kind of that propelled me to to learn how to to carry a load differently, right? Like the academic load, the course load was crazy. To be able to work out, to have to lead a team, to go through like being a freshman, to being a man, and like what comes with that, what comes with empowering, being a leader how to lead by example, how to curse people out when I need to. Like, it gave me the perfect balance on, like, what I felt like I was going to need when this game is over. So I'm thankful for it. That's amazing. That's incredible. Uh, so you you finish out at Lehigh. You win Patriot League Player of the Year twice. Mm-hmm. Um, then you go on to be the 10th overall pick by the Trailblazers. At the time, the Trailblazers had just drafted Dane with the sixth right. pick a year before. Uh, what was your mindset going in, like, I'm sure you were hearing you were too small to be a two guard at that time because when we came in the league, the league was really big. Now the league is small today. The league was really big. Two centers, essentially playing power forward in the center. Uh, you got power forwards playing the three spot. So I'm sure you were hearing you were too small to play the two. But what was your mindset coming in, knowing that they had just drafted Dane with the sixth pick and now they're drafting you with the tenth pick? Yeah, my mindset was to just go be a hooper. Um, Dame and I had talked. We actually got connected by a mutual friend after I broke my foot my senior year. So we had just been talking. Just I was asking about his rehab. What's it like in the league? Like, you came from a small school. What should I be working on? Like, can I still play in the league after this broken foot? You know what I'm saying? This is the point in time where, like, you get hurt and you just start thinking, like, damn, maybe this is it. Maybe I'm going to have to go overseas. My brother was already over there. So I was just kind of coming to terms with and if I got to go over to Europe, like, I know what that looked like. I can go do that. And Dane was like, you're going to be in the league. You're going to be a lottery pick. And I'm like, bro, I just broke my foot. Like, my senior season is over. Like, I'm not playing. And my body of work was there, obviously. But, you know, when we was coming out, it was like a crime to be in school that long. Like, they wanted, you to, they wanted you to get in and out. And they, even though I was younger than a lot of the, the sophomores and freshmen, basically, because I was 21, it just felt like I stayed too long and I missed my window. And he was like, you're going to be a lottery pick. And then fast forward, he's like, if you're there, we're going to take you. And I'm like, okay, like this is the franchise saying that they're going to draft me if I'm there. And we, we got similar games. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I played to two because Marquise Hall, you know, who works at Nike, now, Absolutely. he was the point guard, right. When I was there. So I just slid to the two because it made sense. And I played a lot of one and I was just like, look, man, I don't ball in my hands, ball not in my hands. Like I just want to hoop. I'll figure it out. I can beat a man. I can play off the man. Like I'm not tripping. And I told, I said that in my interviews when I did the draft process and they like my demeanor. They like that Dame has solidified himself as a guy who went to school for a long time. Obviously you play alongside Steph <clears throat> that mattered. And there was just a body of work from guys, Eric Maynard, guys who had been in the league for a while um, George Hill, right, who went to school for a long time, said they knew they were mentally ready for different roles. And I just thought to myself, like, I got to get to it. And then I'll never forget the league is crazy, dog. So I get drafted, my phone dies, and I don't get to talk for a while to like nobody because my phone is dead. We fast forward to rookie orientation, <clears throat> and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, I'm adding up the minutes in my head, like, all right, let's say I, I don't start. I back up Wesley Matthews to two. So that, that's, two, let's call it 12 to 15 minutes. And then I back up Dane, let's call it another 12 minutes. I'm like, I'm going to play about 22 to 27 minutes a night in two different positions, right? Because mm-hmm. it's 48 minutes, Dane played 36, that's 12. If West plays 34, that's 14. Like, I'll take those 26 minutes. I'm cool. We, tr- we trade for Mo Williams while I'm in rookie transition. Uh, and I love Mo. But I was just like, damn, there go my minutes. <laughs> like, that's what I thought right away. Like, 26 minutes ain't going to look the same. And then I end up breaking my foot the last day of training camp again. And the rest is kind of history. But it's a blessing the way that, like, kind of happened, right? The the mental anguish that I went through. The injury that I got my senior year kind of shifted my mentality of what's important, how to work, and how to do stuff outside of basketball. And that's kind of how I fell into the stuff that I do today is because I couldn't hoop during the most pivotal time of my life. And I had to, I started meditating. I started going to hot yoga. I started really becoming more in tune with myself, with nature and with my mental um, side of things, because I was always focused and locked in, but I didn't really have a plan like to keep it a buck. Like it was, it was hoop. And I majored in journalism because I watched Stuart Scott and I was like, I want to work on TV one day. I want to talk about sports. Then I started figuring out like, how do I use this degree? Like, how do I leverage this? And that injury really is shifted my mentality. So you, you've, you've led me to 
speaking of you about media, um, and what I've tried to learn in these interviews is like you allow the person that you're interviewing, you allow them to guide the interview. However, because you've done so much in media, I'm just going to acknowledge for the listeners and for you who's who's an expert at this, been doing this way longer than I have. I'm going to acknowledge that I'm not going to follow you right now because your media catalog is so deep that we gotta we gotta we gotta speak about that in depth. And I really want to get to your your time with the Blazers and your NBA career because I think it's been incredible. And quite frankly, the fact that you haven't been an All Star is baffling to me. Um, to like to average 20 points in this league year after year after year, and y'all team was having success. It wasn't like you were averaging 20 points and y'all were 11 C, 12 C, 13 C. Y'all was in success. Y'all was having success. And quite frankly, probably be the reason y'all didn't have more success just because y'all kept me nuts. Like, I think we met y'all, what, two or three times in the playoffs. Yeah, like two straight years, a year off, and then another year, basically, yeah. And, and so, like, I want I want to continue to talk a little bit about you and Dame, and, and, but also go into that. But in saying all of that, um, that you, you said that that year was a blessing for you once you got hurt. And I'm assuming you it was a blessing because Mo Williams ended up playing a lot that year, and then he ended up moving on. So there was once you got healthy, there was a role for you to to slide right into. Is that why you feel like it was a blessing? I think it was a combination. Of things like right because that next year we trade for Aaron to follow and we signed Steve Blake so I played a little bit more but not as much as I felt like I should have I mean watching my peers you know that watching my guy Michael Carter Williams when we working at the year watching my friends get 25 35 minutes a night you had this envy and this jealousy in your heart not not at them but at the, the fact that they got a role that you felt like you you deserved on your on your own merit and you didn't have it and I think it taught me to slow down it taught me to be patient. It, it, I read more. I joke all the time. I said I went to I went to a school major in journalism, and I read more now than I did when I was in college. And when I got hurt, I started reading. I started really slowing things down because I couldn't think about you hurt. You can't really move. Couldn't walk. Right. I'm on crutches. Everything had to be slower and more methodical. And then my my appreciation of life shifted more. Not just sport, but life. Like the things I took for granted, I stopped taking them for granted right away. And it shifted that part of me. The game was my game, right? Like I got like, when I could get back to it, I got to it. I tightened my diet up. I, I started being with nutritionists. I started figuring out like, all right, man, if you're going to do this, you got to be all the way in. Like your career is only this long. If you're going to get hurt, it's going to be some stuff that you can't control. Everything mm-hmm. else is going to be how it's supposed to be. And I think that's what I did, but I was still pissed off because the next year I only played like 15 minutes a night and I was buying Steve Blake. We ended up signing Aaron to follow and then Aaron ends up, Wesley Matthews tears his Achilles. Aaron Afalo hurts his shoulder. And, and um, they had to play me. They didn't have a choice. And then I always said, I'll be ready when I get a chance. You know what I'm saying? I won't blow a chance by not playing. I'll blow a chance by not being ready to play. So I just got ready. And when the, when the opportunity came, I said, I'm never going to look back. And speaking of not looking back, uh, you and Dame go on to have an incredible partnership, make the playoffs. Y'all first playoff win. We had Dame on the show. And he talked about that first playoff series win that y'all won versus the Clippers and how much that did for y'all partnership. What did you feel like uh, in that moment that, or even looking back on it, that winning that series against the Clippers, what did that do for you and Dane's partnership and moving forward with the Blazers? It did a lot for our partnership. And I think it solidified the fact that we could play together as two small guards, right? Two guards who are ball dominant, two guards who, you know, control a lot of the offense, control a lot of the usage, have similar similar styles in terms of running pick and roll, can run the ISO, can catch and shoot. We kind of, I don't want to say we revolutionized the game. That's too big of a, an adjective. But I would say that we made it more popular, more common for two guards to be able to play together and it'd be more accepted, I would say, for sure, because of the success. Because if you don't have team success, none of this matters, right? And I probably don't get an extension. I probably don't get to stay there and so on and so forth. But I, I will say that Dame always seen the vision. I didn't always see it. There was times where he would be like, we're going to be starting together one day. And I'm like, bro, I don't play at all. Like I'm watching my game starts at three o'clock. Like I work out before the game. I run the stairs, me and Will Barton play one-on-one. 
and I take a shower and that's basically my day. Like I come at seven o'clock, like I already showered. Like I'm just watching being a good teammate. He's like, we're going to play one day. I'm like, bro, I don't see it. I don't see it. And then he always seen it. And sure enough, it ended up happening. And that series was just, you know, for me, it was more about taking advantage of the opportunity, being a, like, I love big moments. I love big games. And I think it brings out the best of me because I went to a school where we didn't have a lot of fans at games. Right. So when I got a chance to play out of Michigan state, at Iowa State, when Royce O'Neal was there, or not Royce O'Neal, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Royce White. Royce White. Royce White. When he Royce was there, White. like those was my moments where it was like, okay, people may never ever be able to see you play again. They're only going to judge you on this one moment. And if I get a chance to play in front of ten thousand, twenty thousand, whatever it was, I was like, this is this is what I was built for. This is what I trained for. And and being in the playoffs is when everybody's watching your games, right? It's not like you get the late TNT slot or, you know, you got a random Wednesday night in Portland. Like it's everybody that loves basketball is watching basketball. And, and I wanted to make sure that I rose to the occasion. And, you know, after a slow start, I did. For for a couple years there, with you still being with the Blazers, uh, your name or not necessarily your name, but it kept coming up that, like, they got to break it up. They got to break it up. They got to break Dame and CJ up. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I think those maybe started three years before you eventually got traded. Yeah. When 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 those things first, first start coming out that they needed to break it up and you get traded, was there ever a point in that, like, before it was inevitable? Like, I think that last year was inevitable where you like, yo, I, I think I maybe even spoke to you before and you're like, yeah, I'm just waiting. Like I know it's happening. But was there ever a point like during those years where hey, y'all were still playing well and competing, but everybody saying it's not gonna work, they need to break it up? Was there ever a point for you during that where you felt like this is the year I'm gonna get traded and it still didn't happen? Or did you always know that no, it's not happening, and then that's just noise on the outside? Um, I was in trade rumors for about six straight years. I would say um bill simmons used to always i joke about bill all the time he used to put me in trades all the time he had me going to the Cavs. he had me going to detroit he had me going to boston um he had some trades that i thought i like you know I, i'm a realist i look at it and i'd be like that could work or like mm-hmm. that makes sense financially or if they try to do this like that could work and i don't really read into too much besides the fact that i think there's only a few players in the league that are untradeable the rest of us are just pawns in this game and we're just a number Absolutely. and they got to figure out how to make the numbers work but I felt like it was good to be wanted by more than one team because at some point, you know, the only person left in my draft classes on the same team they was drafted by is Giannis. <laughs> it was me and Giannis, and now it's just Giannis. So like, that's the way it works. So I always looked, and I thought to myself, first you used to be mad. Like, you're mad at the fan base. You're angry. You're like, why don't they want me? And you kind of feel that way, right, when you're younger. As you get older... I went through that for about like a week, like, dang, that's messed up. Like, I, I worked so hard for them, like, whatever, whatever. Then I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, realistic, CJ. Like, every team's goal is, is to win a championship, right? Fans are irrational at times. I'm an irrational Browns fan, first of all, so I get it. <laughs> like, that's just, I'm an irrational Browns fan. I feel like we're supposed to compete for a championship, even when we're not. And I think our fans and the fans that were there at the time, they were, like, thinking about it. They were like, we're paying these guys too much money, and we keep – being honest, we kept running to the Warriors, right? We kept running to y'all. And it was like our team and our roster wasn't built to beat you guys. We were built to compete, but we weren't built to beat you guys. And how else were we going to be built to compete or beat you guys than to get get rid of the guy who makes the second most money on the team? So it was like financially, I started thinking about it. And I was like, well, if they if they're if their plan is to try to find more assets and they're not going to trade Dame, then like it's obviously going to be me. And I think for me, it was just more so, all right, just keep working in your game, do things the right way, be a leader and set the example. And understand that this is the way the cards may fall for you. And I think that's the approach that I kind of had going forward. And I just always told my agent, like, be honest with me, be transparent, let me know what's going on. And before Neil was let go, um, I always had conversations with him. Like, yo, just be honest with me. Like, that's all I ever want is honesty, man. I can take it. I can take honesty. I don't want to be lied to. I don't want to be betrayed. And at the very least, I don't want to find out things on Twitter. Like, just keep it a buck with me. When I'm playing well, keep it a buck. When I'm not, keep it a buck. And Neil was always like that. He was always very quite frank. Like, things weren't going well, he would tell me. If things were going well, he would tell me. And when Joe was in that position, I told Joe the same thing. Like, hey, keep it, keep it a buck with me. Like, I'm a professional. The whispers are louder than they've ever been before. I can feel the tension. I feel the vibe shifting. I feel it. Like, that's when I think I told you. I was like, yeah, this is, this is inevitable. Like, it's about to happen. I just don't know where and I don't know when. 
And I kind of got my family ready. I got everything kind of lined up. And I told my agent, it's like, it's time. Like, my time here is up. Like, start having, like, not just inquiring conversations, but productive conversations where, like, we're not asking. We're kind of telling, like, this is what it's looking like for us. And uh, and thankfully, you know, Portland was great about the dialogue, the back and forth, and they handled everything first class. And uh, I'm thankful that we were able to put something together where it was mutually beneficial, right? They get off my money. They're able to go pay Ant. They're able to go pay Nerd, pay some other guys. They get Josh Hart. They get some great, you know, assets. And then I think because of my trade, they're able to sign Grant, which was a huge pickup for them as well. And I always say, like, divorces don't always have to be messy, right? Like, my parents got divorced and they get along better now than they did when they was married. Like, divorces can end well and cordial if you handle it properly. And I think we handled that divorce really well. Uh, it's, it's great. Uh, did you have any say so or know that it was going to be New Orleans? Yeah, yeah, I knew. Um, I knew. I knew I was going to New Orleans. Um, we had a lot of conversations about teams behind closed doors. I kind of told my agent um, what I felt like was the best fit for me, my career, where I wanted to go um, for my wife, for my son who had just been born. He was, I left after his four week appointment. And I just felt like, with the young talent, obviously you got a planet in Zion. In, in Zion, you got Bi, who's a mega star, mega star. You got great pieces, young players. You got Willie, who you know Willie really well. Great guy, Absolutely. good human, motivator. You got Griff. You got Trajan. You got Swin. So I'm talking and I'm having all these conversations. And I'm like, this is perfect. We got a young up and coming team. They need a player like me who can play different roles. I can score. I can lead. I can get off the ball and chill and like watch you go to work. Like I'm not. I'm not going to force my way into stuff. Like I know how to play whatever way we need to play. And most importantly, I got a winner's DNA to where like I won at every level. I ain't won a championship, but I won in high school. I won in college and I've consistently gone to the playoffs nine years in a row. This will be 10 straight. So it's like, I know what to do to kind of, to kind of figure it out. And uh, thankfully we pulled the trigger and I'm thankful to be in New Orleans. I love it. I think we're changing the culture. Fan base is shifting. Uh, what we want to accomplish is shifting and, um, I'm a big part of that, and this team is a big part of that. Well, when when you went to New Orleans, did you expect to be full-time point guard? Uh, because that's something different for you in your yeah. career than you had ever done those first, what, nine years? That was a part of the the reason why I wanted to be there is because I wanted to, to play a different role. I wanted to, to really tap into all my tools, all my resources, all my work. And I think it was like I was in training, right, you know, in Portland, right? I got to train alongside one of the greatest players ever. Right, top 75. He just had 60 the other night, like a certified killer. I got to see what that was like, right? What is the mentality? What is the work ethic? What time is he working out? Like, how does he get ready for every game every night? Like, I got to see, I got to work alongside him. We work out together, vacation together, but still my homie to this day. And then I got to go play a certified score role, like just score. Go get buckets, catch and shoot, run the pick and roll. When he goes out the game, run the offense. And I and like I got to see what that was like. And I was like, okay. That was a really cool experience for me. It, it, it changed my, my outlook on basketball. It helped me grow. This is a role where some nights I got to score, some nights I don't. Some nights I might take the, the shot at the end of the game, some nights I might not. But I've been prepared for this role and nurtured for this role and capable of being a full-time point guard. I'm capable of being a full-time shooting guard. I'm capable of playing both. I think my skill set complements on the ball, off the ball, and the ability to shoot and have a basketball IQ makes the game so much easier when you play alongside Guys who know how to space properly, I think the game is just really easy. Coming in as, as a leader of this team, um, when you're traded to the team, Zion, I think at that time, was hurt, missing the entire season last year. And struggling with weight, you know, uh, the, the reports are coming out that he's struggling with weight. You know, they can somebody catch a picture every now and then he looked a little heavier. And, you know, he's having knee injuries, foot injuries, which I'm not necessarily going to say being overweight at that time was what did it, but it definitely didn't help. It. And, you know, coming in there and understanding that, number one, this is number one pick. Number two, generational talent, but could possibly struggle with weight issues. Did you take on that challenge and coming in there to say, I have to do what I need to do to teach this second year guy uh, who's a superstar? making hundreds of millions of dollars already, but I need to teach him about diet. I need to teach him about taking care of his body. I need to teach him these things so that he can be available on the floor. 
Was that something that you had to take on and going to New Orleans with such a young team, especially with a young guy like Zion? That was something that I was surely going to take on, but I didn't force it, right? Like, I didn't want to be the old head that preaches because I know what that looks like, right? You know how it's like when every time you see somebody telling you about what it was like back in their day, and it's like, I didn't want to be that guy. I was more like, show first, then I tell. So it was like, mm-hmm. I ain't going to say nothing. I'm going to read the room. I don't really know these guys like that. I know them from afar, but I'm going to just work how I work, do what I do, eat what I eat. I show up at the same time. I work out at these times. I'm, I get my body worked on at these times. And they're gonna see what what a what a real professional looks like, and then once they see that, like, okay, this is how CJ is. CJ is very blunt. CJ is very honest. CJ's he's himself. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he sees something he don't like. He speak on it. Sometimes he don't say nothing. Sometimes I say too much. It's like they was gonna be able to get get to know me better. We was gonna go out to eat first. We did all that stuff before I started trying to preach. It's like no, nah, I I came here, and I said it from day one. I said, look, man, I've been in the playoffs eight straight years, it's going to be nine. And we not in no position to make the playoffs at this point. Right. Like I said, look, I work a certain type of way. Uh, I love this game. I'm going to give everything I got to this game. And then I'm going to walk away from it. I want y'all to challenge me. I want y'all to coach me. I don't care if you start or if you're the last one on the bench, if you see, I'm not doing something right. You tell me I'm not running the play. Right. Cause I don't know none of the plays. You tell me, you help me. And that's kind of how I get down. I'm going to challenge y'all. And I want y'all to challenge me. And I sat out. And I think that changed the, per- the perception of, what they thought about me because I'm sure they had this idea what I was like as the president, all of that stuff. And then it was like, okay, like CJ, he's first of all, he got real game. But second of all, like he talks when he needs to real talk. Dude. Yeah. He keep it 100 with me. He not going to sugarcoat nothing. If I see something I don't like, I'm going to tell him I'm changing stuff within the organization that I may not like, or may not think is what we should have. And I'm saying stuff and then I'm delivering. It's not like, I don't just make up stuff. Like Z's gone on record saying like, CJ got somebody for everything. Like I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I don't just make it up. Like I, I really look out for people and make sure that they smooth. And in this case, um, our lockers right beside each other, sit beside each other on the bus. He comes back to the team. We start talking and I'm just getting to know him on like a surface level, right? Like I broke my foot three times. Mm-hmm. What surgeon did you use? Like just general stuff. Like how's your rehab going? What you doing? What phase you in now? Did you do this? Did you do that? It's like, I can relate. I've been there. I did it three times, dog. Like, I know what you're going through mentally. Do you got a therapist? Like, how's your day to day? Like, how are you structuring your days now that you're not playing? Like, do you have a routine? So I'm just hitting him with just like generals. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not telling him what to do. I'm seeing what you're doing. And then as it progresses, then I get more comfortable. We get more comfortable. Now I'm I'm like, this is what I think you should be doing. It's your life. Like, I I always tell him, like, I don't need nothing from none of y'all. I'm not bragging. Mm-hmm. I signed three deals. Like I make good money. I make good money off the court. Like I don't, I do this because I want to, not because I have to. I want to get the best out of you. I want to get the best out of you. I want all of y'all to make as much money as y'all supposed to. I'm maximizing what CJ McCollum is supposed to be in all phases of life. I want you to maximize what you're supposed to be. And your ceiling is a lot higher than a lot of ours. So I just want you to get there. This is all I'm saying. And I don't need no bread from you. I don't need nothing. I just want you to be available. And I want to see you be able to say that when you when you're done, CJ kept it a buck with me. He gave me a lot of gems. I took him with me and I took my talent and I ran with it. And I think now he's doing that. Obviously, he's got a little injury right now, but they all they all work. And that's what I love to see. Like win or lose, whatever. Do you work? Do you care? Do you apply yourself? Are you maximizing your days? And this is one of the, the best organizations in terms of fun. Like they make the game fun. Like, and that's what I love to be around. The locker room is fun. The flights is fun. Like you really, really get down with these guys and we're not really faking the fun. Like we really mess with each other. Turn every Thursday into payday with TNT Thursdays on FanDuel Sportsbook. Doesn't matter if you win or lose. FanDuel's giving all customers $10 in bonus bets every Thursday. Just bet a $10 bill or more same-game parlay on any NBA TNT game. Same-game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets, two or three or four, for a chance at a bigger payday. You build your own or choose from one of the popular SGPs pre-built for you in FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. Win or lose, you're guaranteed to get $10 added to your account. Get $10 back every Thursday, win or lose, with TNT Thursdays, exclusively on FanDuel Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... 
or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com, or download the app today. And speaking of Zion and, and your team with the Pelicans in your role, uh, guys got off to an incredible start, uh, what, three weeks ago. Three, three, four weeks ago was number one, number two in the West. And now currently in the midst of a losing streak. How, how, how is the mood around the team and what has to be done? Obviously, health is important. and You guys have been deemed up. Uh, we kind of went through our injury, uh, injury spot as well. And you guys have been dinged up. Finally got B.I. back uh, after missing 33 games. But... How is how is the mood around the team now with such a young team? You're riding that high. You're number one, number two in the West. Everybody's feeling good. And now you've lost six in a row. I think maybe one or two games above 500. What's the mood like now, especially with trying to push young guys who hasn't been there and get them to understand what it needs to be? I think the mood definitely shifted when we start losing games because we're not used to that, right? Like we was winning. Things are going well. You know, we number one, number two in the West, like we rolling. Then we start getting some injuries. We start dropping some close games. Guys that ain't normally used to playing 30 minutes is playing 30 minutes. Guys that ain't used to playing 20 is playing 20. And I think it changed the rotation and the body started to kind of feel the season, right? 40 some games in 11 day road trip, come back, lose more games than you think you're supposed to drop a game in Orlando. Like it starts the domino. And I think it was mentally exhausting, but also physically exhausting from the season. But we had conversations and I think the, the message is the same. Like when everything is going well, I don't judge people on that. I judge them by how they act when everything's going wrong. Like when mm-hmm. everything is hitting the fan, that's true, true testimony. That's the true character. That's the true, true character traits of what you really, what you really made of. And I think this is great for us. I was like, when we was winning games, they was like, oh, this is this. You know, championship contenders. And I was like, man, six months ago, y'all said we barely going to finish over 500. You know what I'm saying? So it's mm-hmm. like, y'all are victims of the moment. I said, we can't be victims of the moment. This is a season. The season has ebbs and flows, good days, bad days, losing streaks, winning streaks. Just as quick as we win seven, we lose seven. So you got to stay locked in on the goal. Stay locked in on the task of each day, just getting better, stacking your good days. Some days you got to rest. Some days you got to chill. Some mm-hmm. days we got to celebrate our victories, right? Privately. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're at that stage now where we didn't drop a couple of games, but now we understand like, all right, B.I.'s back, Najee's back, Z's getting closer. Like we just lost our Rook Dyson to an injury, but it'll be back soon. It's like, we're going to be whole when we need to be whole right now. We just stay afloat, stay afloat, get a home seat, 
and we will figure it out. We healthy and we got, we got one out there. We got 14 out there. We got three out there. I like our chances. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, let, let's just learn from this season, right? Everybody adjusts to new roles. Get used to playing outside your role. And then you get back used to playing your role. And when we come together collectively, we're going to be fine, but you got to remember what this felt like because losing, losing can continue to seep in and you start to have a loser's mentality and we can't have that. Like, it's hard to win an NBA. And when you start falling into wins, like you think it's normal, it's not, it's really hard. Like it's hard mm-hmm. to close a team out. It's hard to be up for the entire game and close them out down the stretch. Like it takes real talent and execution and focus. And now I think we're getting to that point where it's all coming together. Even though we lost that game the other night against the Nuggets by one point, I think I missed the game winner. I missed the game winner against the Heat. And then we come back, you know, we're up against Minnesota. They go on like a 17 to two run in a quarter. And we end up coming back and losing by four or five. I think it's showing them it's like, look, like that, that, that line of error is very thin. Like you got that margin of victory is very thin. You got to lock in. Now that's a fact. I think uh, that's something that we've been figuring out this season as well. It's like, you know, every year it's a different team, man. You know, yes, we still have that first five, six guys that won a championship last year that's won several championships or seven guys. But then we got a bunch of guys who haven't really played much, um, who we haven't really played much together, and also youth and the mistakes that you make as a young team. It, it, it takes a while to grow through those. And I feel like right now y'all are starting to see a little bit of that. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think we're starting to see it for sure. And I wouldn't even compare it to the – we don't got the championship DNA, right? But we got a little taste of success, not on that level, a small taste, turning the table, winning two playing games, taking the Suns to what I think should have been seven games. We should have won seven games and had to play a seven, seven game series on their court. But we got a taste of success, right? And then we got to see, like, start the season off. We beat Brooklyn and Brooklyn by like 20. And we start playing well as a whole. And we looking like we could really play with some of the best teams in the league. Like and you start to get a taste of like what success really looks like. And then you get humble and it's like, okay, like we got a chance to be really good, but we got to do these things consistently. And like you said before, we can't have small mistakes linger, right? Like if you're supposed to be low man, you got to be the low man with Anthony Edwards mm-hmm. coming down the lane, because if you get there too late, you're getting punched on. Right. Absolutely. And, and if you don't meet, a good passing role man early, he gonna pick you apart like Joker. You gotta meet him early, or he gonna hit the lob to Aaron Gordon, or he gonna throw it right to the corner. It's a, it's a three. Like, and if you get put in a series against these teams, the whole point of a series is to figure out the weakness and exploit it. And it's like if you if you're not gonna lock in the way you're supposed to lock in regular season, where you just playing a team on a random Tuesday, then how I'm gonna trust you to lock in? You know, in a playoff series when. You know, we might have to go back to Phoenix and we got nights off in Scottsdale. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, y'all got to have this level of focus and be willing to sacrifice at a different level. And that doesn't just mean going out or not going out because that's not even what I'm talking about. You got to be willing to sacrifice and say, today, I'm not going to work out because I'm playing more minutes than I ever played before in my career. And I don't want my body to be hurting tomorrow. So I'm just going to shoot free throws or I'm really focusing on film and I'm going to get better at film today. And I think that's the next step that we got to take from a growth standpoint. And I think we're getting there. Absolutely. I respect that. Um, speaking of basketball, uh, you recently, well, last, what, year, year and a half now, uh, you became the president of the Players Association. Number one, how has it been sitting in that role? Uh, and number two, how long do you plan on staying in that role? Uh, that's the two first. I don't know how long I plan on staying in this role. Um, I'm unsure. Um, obviously I'd like to mold whoever's going to be next to kind of spend some time with them and allow them to kind of understand how it works. Similar to how the NBA has done things with the deputy commissioner. I think that's important that your change of hand should be smooth and they should be well-equipped. I think I want to get to that point first before I do that. So I don't know what the timeline is on that, but the first part of your question is it's been an honor to serve, you know, on behalf of the players, there's been some great moments and some not so great moments. Obviously when you're in a position of power and have to make decisions, your decisions are for the betterment of the group, but the group isn't always going to be happy, right? And yes. having to deal with COVID, having to deal with a lot of different situations that we've had to deal with hasn't been ideal, but it's been a lot of tough learning moments that I've enjoyed going through. Um, I've enjoyed the dialogue, the conversations that I have to have on behalf of the players and alongside the NBA. Um, 
I think we're working on developing more of a partnership, more of a collaboration that's group decision-making. Um, I think the dialogue has improved tremendously since my rookie year to now, 10 years ago. And um, I think obviously we're in CBA talks going through negotiations now, but we're in a much better state than I would say a lot of other major sports in terms mm -hmm. of how we speak to each other in terms of relationships. A lot of players have with Adam, a lot of relationships the players have with Mark Tatum. I think we're in a much, much better space. And I think Tamika has done a, a fantastic job of organization and allowing us to continue to make strides on the great work that Michelle has done. Uh, I think um, Michelle was incredible, by the way. I thought she did a, a, an amazing job. And, you know, and, and stepping in that role, like, I think CP did a really good job uh, in, in the role of a president for, I think, man, what was he, the president for like eight years or something like that? A long time. Yeah, he did it. He did two bids. And I, I thought he, I thought he did a really good job. But there's a topic that never comes up in, in, in discussions, and I, quite frankly, don't understand it. So I want to ask you about it, which is players not being able to participate in ownership of these teams. Like you see the valuation is of these teams, and you can look at the Warriors first. Take the Warriors for example, seven billion dollar valuation. When when the when the ownership group bought this team in uh, 2011, which was a year before I was drafted, Clay's first year, Steph's third year, it's a 500 million dollar team. It's now seven billion dollars. Players aren't allowed to participate at all. Not say not now. You can't structure something to be part owner after or anything. What do you make of that conversation and players not being able to participate in ownership and it also never really coming up? Yeah, I, I will say that it's coming up. Okay. <laughs> the conversations okay. have, have been occurring. I I was elected in this role in 2012, 2020 during COVID, maybe August 20, 2020 or 2021. We're in 2023. So I'm yeah. I'm going on two years, I think. So these are things that I think about constantly as a person who believes in equity and empowerment and ownership and ways to create generational wealth, but also the fact that a lot of these teams are owned by funds or a portion of it is owned by funds. I think where it's indirectly ownership, I think those are all discussions that we're currently having. I think it's more so like you talked about, how do you structure it? Like for instance, the Seth Curry situation, right? I don't even like the valuation of what it was compared to what it is now based on him being there and all that stuff is, is crazy. And I think, you know, you guys, your, your owner would argue that, you know, he's paid well and he is paid well, he's paid mm -hmm. extremely well and he performs and he does his job. But a lot of that success off the court for the Warriors is, is due to him. Um, merchandise sales, those restaurants that y'all got around that arena. Um, the I think y'all have your own media now, if I'm not mistaken, where they're basically chronicling this season for y'all behind closed doors. I think uh, Wake Up might be the owner of the media company. I'm like, there's a lot of ways in yes. which they're generating income that you guys aren't able to take part in and we're not able to take part in as a union. I think for us, it's about strategically trying to figure out what that looks like. And it's not we're not trying to take advantage of anybody. We're just trying to be able to figure out what's considered a fair share. Um, and how does that share paid out in the event that Steph Curry does have enough money, right, to to potentially partake in, in, in an ownership play? What does that look like for him? And can he do it? And like you talked about before, can you do it down the road? Like, what does that look like strategically if you structure it? And I think I don't have the answer. Obviously, if I did, then it would be done already. But just the dialogue is what's important because you need to understand both sides' issues and why both sides feel like change is necessary. And I think for us as players, um, that's the next step for us. Like Michael Jordan being the only player to own a team and arguably the greatest player of all time, if not the greatest, is kind of a problem because there's plenty of other athletes from other sports, there's plenty of other African-Americans, minorities who have money but they don't have the access. They don't have the power, mainly because many of these organizations and franchises are owned and they're passed down from generation to generation. So if we don't get one person of color in one of these positions, how do we get the next person of color in the position? You know what I mean, I think not to just bring race into it in general, but for us as, as black athletes, over 80% of the league, like that's important. We make a lot of money and we want to figure out ways to make money for our kids and the generations that come after us, especially if we're helping boost these franchises the way 
a Steph Curry is boosting a franchise. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, like you said, I think Joe has, he's paid a lot of money. Like as ownership group, they've paid. And so you respect that. But then I'll look, I'll look at it and say, yes, they have paid, but they're also able to cover that. They're also able to cover those expenses from revenue. They're not covering those expenses by going to take a loan out against that $7 billion valuation as if it's subtract. No, that's still just sitting there and you're able to cover salaries and X, Y, and Z, the revenue. And so there's still that long-term play that you're just not able to participate in. And I'll take it even a step further. If an owner, if an owner is in an investment and you know they're either leading the investment or they're high up on the cap table, we can invest in that same investment. And so that right there already essentially limits the, the great investments that you can take part in because they're going to get access to the best investments. Why? Well, number one, a lot of them these days come from tech backgrounds, venture backgrounds, et cetera. But also number two, if I am a CEO of a company and if I'm a CEO of a company and I want to do something with the Warriors or I want to some, I'm going to make, I'm going to open my roundup to Joe Lacob. I'm going to open my roundup to Peter Gruber. Why? For the relationship. And so then that limits what players can do as well. And so uh, are we making any progress as far as that? rule? like, I think that's an old rule that was put in way back in the day. And it's like one of those things where like, it's just lazy to leave it there because the times have changed and players are making more money to where you can sit on those same cap tables that owners sit on. Is that something that we're making progress in? Because I think that's something that definitely needs to go. Yeah, I'm definitely of the business mindset, as you can attest to that. I think it's important that we have the right exposure, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things we've seen historically is that, you know, athletes and, and people who have money, but not necessarily the right education behind it, invest in the wrong things. And I think for us, it's not just about deal vetting. It's about making sure that you have the right deal flow, um, constructive, productive deal flow. And by potentially being able to invest alongside owners, it gives you another layer of due diligence that we may not always have or may, may not always use. And I think that's important. An important part of the structure that you know we're working towards is it's not just about investing alongside your owner. It's about them kind of explaining deals to you, why this is a good deal, why this is not a good deal, the stage of the deal, capital calls. What's a capital call? How often are they going to come back? What series is this? Is this is this a safe round? Do I get a discount? What's my discount? You know what I mean? I think being able to explain the lingo, similar to how we would explain a play. One of the things I think is most fascinating about other sports is when I watch a football player break down a play. I played football, but I can't speak to football the way that a professional athlete can when they break down a play. I think that's so great, but I think we need to have that same mindset when it comes to finance and be able to speak to lingo with somebody else who can empower us and encourage us and teach us. And I think we're working towards a lot of stuff that I, you know, I can't really speak to because, you know, I'm president of the PA, but the conversation and dialogue is going strong. It's, it's definitely business focused. You know, I knew about the, the uh, basketball Africa league, you know, when it was coming out and I tried to invest in it, obviously I wasn't allowed. And that's not even the NBA. And I couldn't invest in that and partake in the upside and that and the potential upside. So it's like, there's a lot of issues that I have personally as a, as a, as a player and personally on behalf of all the players that we're trying to resolve. And I think we will be able to resolve because like you said before, it just makes sense, right? It just makes sense for us to be able to partake in some of the upside, be able to invest in things that are have a higher likelihood of being successful. Like we should want our players to, and the owners obviously, and the governors, they definitely want their players to be a part of it. They're just trying to figure out um, structurally what that'll look like going forward. Uh, absolutely. And like I said, I think you're doing an incredible job as the president. Um, I appreciate that. So, you know, as a player, um, I, I thank you because it's, it's a very unforgiving job. Like it's a, it's a thankless job, and I tell people all the time, this is a very thankless job, and I'm thankful for your eight years of service because now I know what you went through. I didn't understand it before. Now I truly know. And on another note, who's your team rep? Kavan Looney. Make sure Kavan is at um, Utah for at least a, tell him just at least a day. I need him for a day. Okay. Yeah, we need I'll a rep. Tell. We need a rep from the Warriors there. Please I'll tell, tell him. him. To, 
flight, hotel, whatever he needs, dinner on me if he wants it, dinner in Park City. I don't care, but I need him there. I'll definitely let him know. Uh, and like I said, a man who wear many hats, I'm going to get you out of here. I know little man probably getting up in a minute and you got to eat. You're on the central central time zone. So appreciate you coming on. But before you get That's out right. of here, I just wanted to ask you about uh, media. Like I remember when you first started doing media and you came to the NBA finals, we actually had a conversation. You, you remember were, the you conversation? Cover- I remember Absolutely. And we were, you were covering the NBA finals and I was like, Hey CJ, like, that's cool. That's dope. But it's a respect thing that you got to give to you sitting here talking to players about the finals. You ain't, you haven't quite gotten to the level that you need to get to to have those conversations. And you was like, oh, well, this is something I want to do. And then you kind of stepped back a little bit. Became CJ McCollum, respected around the league, who everybody respected, and then got back into it. What's been your mindset um, from there to where you are now uh, in the media aspects of things? Yeah, I think my understanding of media has definitely shifted, have been involved, like you said before. And it's funny because... You know, I broke my foot my rookie year and I got pitched a lot of stuff and I had to decline a lot of it because I was becoming more known as a journalist than I was as an NBA player. And I thought like, it's like, that's a bad look. And the fact that I had to debate that is crazy, right? In society Absolutely. in which I'm doing things that better myself. I'm actually using my degree. I enjoy this craft. I get paid for it. And it gives fans a different side. I mean, I had to question whether or not I should be doing it because I was hurt and I couldn't play my sport. And I thought the perception would be that I'm not taking my craft seriously, even though Mm -hmm. I take my craft more seriously than 99% of this league as I do all these other things. Right. So I took a step back, like you said before, and even when I was doing the finals and stuff like that, I was only covering certain stuff that I felt like I wanted to be a part of from an exposure standpoint, but also to be honest, I want to know what it was like to be in the finals. Like I had never played in it. I never watched it as a kid and I wanted to see what it was like to, to like the, the vibe, the aura, like what goes into it. And obviously playing and, and covering is different, but I mean, I've, it's a shame to say that I've covered more finals than I've been in. Right. Like I've been covering finals for years through ESPN and other different partnerships. But I think what I've learned most is that it's okay to, to not know everything about the sport that you play. And it's okay to have an opinion on things and to be, quite frank in your judgment and your and the way you assess the game. But what I've tried to do as a player is I never attack players, right? Like you'll see me mm-hmm. go on first take. Like I stand up for whoever. I'm standing up for Katie. I'm standing up for Kai, whatever, because I know them. I know them personally. I know how they work. I know how they think about the game of basketball. I know what it means to them. And I can be, I can be critical, right? Of let's say I'm gonna use Tatum, for example, because I know Jason, right? Jason has some turnovers in the finals. I can say like, look, Jason had a lot of turnovers tonight, whatever, whatever, but I'm not going to say he played poorly or that he wasn't ready to play because I know him. I know how he prepares. I know how much this means to him. And I think far too often, one of the things I don't like about sports is how players will play this game. They'll retire and they'll go talk about it. And they'll talk about it in a way that's demoralizing to the player. And I don't like to do that. I hate that. I hate to make it more than what it is. I like to be quite frank. Like if he, if he can't shoot, he know he can't shoot. Right. Like we know who can shoot in the league, who can't shoot. I'll talk about why the percentages are low, whatever, whatever. Like I'll say it in a way that's like, motherfucker can't shoot. Right. But I'm not going to go out and say that. <laughs> but I think when you do it that way, you're handling it as a professional. These are my peers. Right. I still got to see these guys on a daily basis. I know what the game means to them, but we all know what our weaknesses are. Right. Like we all know what they are. And I think there's a way to criticize the game and critique a player in a way in which you're educating the fan, you're pointing out facts but you're not bashing. You're talking about facts of the matter. Like I said it on my podcast at the beginning of the season, like I was shooting the ball very poorly. The worst I've shot the ball in my entire career. I didn't talk about how, you know, I had, you know, messed up my finger on my index finger and, and on my middle, my middle finger on my shooting hand, but I didn't make excuses. I just said, I'm shooting the ball the worst I've ever shot in my career. And if, and if somebody wanted to talk about me on TV, they would be able to say that frankly, but it wouldn't be because I wasn't prepared. And I wasn't working hard because shit just wasn't going in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things I've learned about the sport and one of the approaches I've tried to take. And I know there's no right answer for everything that I do. And some people might not be mad. Like I, I had the Boston Celtics beating y'all and I know you personally, but what I wasn't going to do was talk about you behind your back and I tell you to your face. So if I'm going to go on TV and talk about how I think the Warriors going to lose and why I'm going to tell you when I see you, like I did say that I th- I think y'all going to lose. And when you win, you're supposed to say like what you said to me, like that's what you're supposed to do. Because <laughs> as you know, I always keep it real. And 
I love sports. I love talking about sports. I love the way it's played. I love the way guys prepare. I think it's art. And for me to be able to get compensated to do stuff I would do for free anyway, I think it's a blessing. And to be able to use my degree, right, to go to school, major in journalism, minor in mass comm, to cover Lehigh sports, like I cover field hockey, I cover tennis championships, I cover track and field football, name a sport that's not men's basketball, I covered it. To be able to do it now, it's like, it's a, it's a blessing, honor, and privilege. And I just want people to know, because they don't understand, like, they see me work for ESPN, they see me doing this stuff, and they're like, oh, he's just doing this because he hoop. It's like, no, I did this to get a degree. Like, I got my credited hours. I did an internship unpaid, just like a lot of these journalists. I just got to the top a little bit faster because I'm an expert and I play. But I think it's cool that I'm in this spot. And I think it's cool that other players like yourself are doing it because it's fun. But I think the fan appreciates our knowledge of the game and the way we can kind of reiterate that to them. No, I definitely agree with you, um, you know, in a sense, as you know, what you're saying, like how like, it, it's baffling to me how former players get up there at times and talk about players. It's almost like, like, bro, you are one of us and you get up there and talk. Like you weren't that same player in the locker room that hated when someone was talking about you like that, that talked about those very people that were talking about you or us like that when when you were sitting in the locker room. And now you go on TV and do that same thing. Like to me, it says a couple of things when 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 people analyze or lack thereof. One, you're just lazy. Like you're taking the easy way out and it's very easy to just go bash somebody. Like, cause you just say reckless shit and you get, you know, nowadays people are chasing clicks and, you know, they're chasing the, the online traffic. And so I think number one, it's just lazy. But number two, I don't think people are like, these people are very capable of analyzing the game of basketball. Like, you know, some of these guys that go up there and they were players, wasn't, you weren't a smart player. Like it wasn't like you you benefited off really knowing the game of basketball. And so you go up there and like do lazy, to me, lazy analyzing because you can't break down the X's and O's. You can't break down CJ's mindset or why CJ would rather shoot bring this guy into the pick and roll and not that guy. Although in your mind, that guy's a better defender. No, but I like the way he guards this pick and roll. So I'm trying to get to this. You know, I, I don't think they're capable of doing that. And to me, I, I never want to see anyone lose their job, like, or, or lose their livelihood. But a part uh, but, but one of my goals in this is to make that type of shit extinct. And if that means you lose your, if that means you're going to lose your job, well then you better get to learning how to analyze and study and building relationships. Because I, I think like, that stuff is getting tired in our game, man. Like, nobody want to hear you just go bash somebody and you really can't even break down why. And so yeah. I think that's important for us moving forward in this craft. And like, like I said, that's one of my motivations in this is to make that style of reporting, analyzing, um, journalism, is to make it extinct. Because there is a way, like you said, there's a way of being very critical and not bashing someone like these people start these people have started bashing like people as human beings like because of how you play the game of basketball that's insane to me like it never used to be that way or was it right. i don't it, think so i think now it's gotten worse because we see it everywhere like you got the twitter you got the instagram like you it's instantly in our phones right it's instantly accessible and now we see it more often and it's just like the Russell Westbrook situation, that stuff used to piss me off because if you don't like Russ the way he plays, just say you don't like the way he plays. But to talk about him as a person is just disrespectful because I know Russ. Mm -hmm. Russ is a good dude. Russ, you could beat his team and he'll take a picture with your grandma after the game. And there's not a lot of guys that'll do that. Not a lot of guys that'll stop and take a picture after a loss, whatever the case may be. Like, take a picture of my little cousin. That's a good human being. Does things the right That's way serious. off the court. Good father, good husband, all those things. So when people attack, like, the character, like, if you don't like the way he played, just say that. Just mm -hmm. say that you don't like the way they play and say why you don't like the way they play and throw some stats out there. But when they start challenging people's character and saying they're not a good teammate or whatever, it's like, how do you know what a good teammate looks like? If you're not in that locker room, did you ask his teammates? Did his teammates say he wasn't a good teammate? Do you got a source that's like out there? That's the stuff that I didn't, I didn't like that. I've seen historically, but outside of that, like I respect the craft and I think, you know, the same way I approach basketball, right? Like, 
you're going to go on TV. Like you need to be prepared. Like do your work, do your work and understand what you're breaking down. And I think that's what was cool about covering the finals is because like I had played against y'all. I guarded Steph. Mm-hmm. I'm chasing clay. I'm getting hit by screens from you. Like I know what it's like. So when they say like, I don't understand how he's getting open. It's like, no, these, these are some of the best players in the world. They're trying to stop this. It's just hard to, because there's so many reads. There's so many ways in which the game flows, hit this, hit the pitch post. And they're like, well, why is he, why is he on the top side? And it's like, well, maybe that's the coverage. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's supposed to be on the top side. Maybe you're supposed to force him down. Maybe you don't want Steph shooting threes and you would rather him finish around the basket. It's like, mm-hmm. why are they switching? It's like, well, you can sit in and drop if you want to. You're going to eat that up. <laughs> hey, Good luck. Oh, you're going to hard hedge with a seven-footer and think that they're going to not turn the corner. It's like, people don't really think the game. And it's like, that's why I was like, look, if I'm going to do this, like I'm going to go on TV and talk about it. But I only want to talk about the stuff that I know. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about rumors. I don't want to talk about, like, I want to break down the game and get out of there. Absolutely. That's my approach. Man, before we get out of here, uh, like I said, I know you got to go. My teammate, your teammate, just named All-Star Starters, uh, Steph. It's an obvious one. Zion just named an All-Star Starter. Um, How does that make you feel? Like, how big is that for him? How big is that for New Orleans? How big is that for your organization? It's really, really dope, man. I'm excited about it. I'm happy for him. I know the work that he put in to overcome what he went through last year. And I'm not just talking about the physical aspects of it. I'm talking about the mental aspects of the injury and the way people kind of critiqued him and scrutinized him. I'm happy for the progress our team is making in this city. And I think it'll be great uh, for him. Hopefully he's healthy, you know, ASAP and uh, back out here with us. But I'm happy he's going to be representing us in New Orleans for sure, man. It's a blessing to to be his teammate. And uh, this is a gamer, man. He's a gamer. Shows up in the hoops. A gamer. That's dope, man. CJ, my brother, I appreciate you for coming on. Mr. President himself, yes, looking sir, forward man. to coming back on your pod whenever we got time to do it, bro. But thank you so much for coming on the Draymond Green Show. Incredible interview. Your insight on uh, the Players Association and being a president. Your insight on uh, media, and then also just sharing your story. Like for me, uh, as an under, you're an underdog, man. And for me, as an underdog myself, I can always respect and appreciate hearing that journey. So thank you for coming on and sharing it with myself, with our listeners and subscribers. See you soon, bro. Thanks for everything, my dog. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on. I'll tap in about my pod too. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.